speaks be to God. So I want us to imagine the year, okay, 1971. The world is awakening with movements for and from oppression. Its eyes have been watching the Vietnam War go on for many years. Not long after the forgotten Korean War, not long after World War II, and not long after the Great Depression, which followed a decade of hope of rebuilding from World War I. The world had endured half a century filled with pain and brokenness and death. And then this guy, you may know him, John Lennon, decided to write a song called Imagine. And in it, he invites people to imagine a world of peace. He offers people a way to have hope, to believe that there is goodness in this world, to dream as dreamers do. And that maybe this dream can become reality if we imagine there's no heaven or no hell below us or that above us is only sky. If we imagine all the people living for today, if we imagine there's no countries, that there's nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Only then can we imagine all the people living life in peace. Church, the year is 1971, and this is the image the world had, the recipe to rebuild humanity and to live in harmony with one another. This is the image from 40 years ago. That's not how the world sees it today, because we don't have that type of brokenness. We don't have those type of global wars that impact our homes, that require fireside chats with the president because they are infused into the everyday life. We don't have masses of people starving or struggling to find a meal or struggling to put a roof over their head or over their children's. The year is 2021, and this song, Imagine, has actually sold more than 21 million copies worldwide, and it has not lost steam in popularity because the world hurts, because the world needs hope, desires it to be true because the world wants to believe in something and anything that will get them through their day so that they can experience this peace that John Lennon mentions 40 years ago. But what this song does not depict is the truth that we know, that we desire to live and breathe every day. That Jesus is Lord. That God is with us, Emmanuel, peace on earth. And this is what the people of Luke's time were waiting upon, for God to redeem his people once again. And as difficult as it seems to connect with history, this text, our scripture, reveals so many correlations to our world today and to our call today. It is the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, when Herod was ruler of Galilee, when Philip was ruler of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, when Lysanias was ruler of Abilene. It is life in the Roman Empire where people were defined by what they had and where they came from. The status quo was everything. 
This list of people are ones that represented might and power and tradition. And they were doing all they could to hold on to these positions. You see, Tiberius is the self-proclaimed divine ruler of the empire who was able to send his armies at a moment's notice to squash dissent. In Luke's time, Tiberius believed he was building a grand and beautiful city on the coast, but it was all designed to extend Roman Roman power and to control the masses because it was the only way to create a false sense of peace. You see, Pontius Pilate, as governor, had the final say and authority in sentencing. It was he who had the position, the power, to sentence our Jesus to death for the sake of expediency and false peace. The Herod family conjoined to Roman power, brutal to any opposition, even murdering their own family to keep the throne. They were willing to behead the opposition for the entertainment of the court and to support this continued notion of peace. Lysanias is more of a mystery. There's not really much known about Lysanias. But what we do know of his Greek background is that his family's connections to Cleopatra indicate that they were at the heart of the political and military intrigue that so often brought suffering to the population for peace, right? And then there's Annas and Caiaphas high priests from the ruling classes who had a stake in keeping the peace with the oppressor. And they were willing to sell out any voice that gave hope to those who were at the margins. Without exception, these rulers, these emperors, these high priests, the ones who are supposed to care for the well-being of all the people because they have the power to do much at the snap of their fingers. They chose to abuse their power and to use it for selfish gain and the promotion of false peace. And as Luke is listing them one by one, you can almost hear it. You can almost feel it. It's a drumbeat telling us that these individuals stood in the way of liberation and of justice and of compassion and of peace. It is a drumbeat telling us that the world is trying its best to encroach on the goodness of the gospel. And when we hear this list, it is not only a reminder of the power and responsibility one holds in certain positions, it is a reminder that the political and social and economic powers of our world still too often runs counter to God's word. And what do we hear next in scripture? That God is going to shake things up. Luke shares with us that the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. You see, church, I want to pause right there. I think sometimes we skim over the importance of that line. See, Luke didn't have to say anything about John's lineage. But you see, John's story is a vital part of how Luke sets up the birth of Jesus and the coming Messiah. Do you hear the parallels that even before John's birth, he, he had a purpose, a calling, and he chose to live that fully from chapter one when Zechariah is able to speak again. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, 
And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, and to guide our feet into a way of peace. You see, John's story within this story shows us exactly how God can move through one person who is so emphatic about his faith and about Jesus. That God can move through one person who simply says yes. So have we said yes? Have we said I am willing to share the good news, the knowledge of salvation that is offered to all people. Have we said, I want people to know that they are forgiven? Have we said that I want my feet to be guided by the way of peace, true peace that is only offered through Jesus? Church, God is asking us, are we willing to shake things up for his glory and his kingdom? Too often we get caught up in the affairs of the world. Maybe we get caught up in the corruption of the government and the lies and the scandals and in the deception. Maybe we even get caught up in the disheartening brokenness of the world. There's poverty, there's homelessness, there's violence, and there's ignorance and instability. There is injustice, there is oppression, and there is prejudice. We get so caught up that maybe we have put on these blinders and we miss all that is happening with God. And all that can happen with God, even through us. So God is asking us to do things differently. To break our mold of rightness and to show the world that the path to peace is not anything it can create or envision. The only path to peace, to genuine peace, is through Jesus. And you know the crazy thing about that is? That this message... It's something God's people have been told from at least the time of Isaiah. But I guess that makes us have to ask ourselves, have we really listened? I think there are times that we envision preparedness as being ready for, for anything that comes our way with a bunch of things, of, of these external items. For example, in the animated movie Hoodwinked, there's this mountain goat. His, his shtick, essentially, is you need to be prepared for everything. And you know what? He has these horns of tricks. I feel like I see some faces that recognize what I'm about to do. <laughs> so he's got horns that open bottles. And he's got horns that hold my keys. I got horns that when you turn them right, they help me watch TV. I got horns that open pickle jars and horns that come with hair. I got horns that hang my other horns. I always come prepared. And it seems like the song essentially ends there, right? But our mountain goat friend realizes that it isn't just him who needs to know the importance of preparedness. So our goat friend tells us later in the song that this lesson must be shared. And then you think, okay, that makes sense. I hear you, goat. Yet the line that gets you is this last part of the verse. Because of the accuracy of his awareness in the context of preparedness. 
And unless you got a spare, you got one life, so handle it with care. Hmm. Not because of survival. Not because of fear. No, we practice preparedness because we know where we are going and that one day all that God has promised will come to fruition. And it starts with us. Right here. Peace on earth does not happen until there is peace within. And it doesn't happen without God reshaping and reforming us first. Reverend Dr. John H. Westerhoff challenges us that maybe living prepared is more than our getting ready for God to do something. Rather, it is to reflect upon what we ask God to do in our prayers so that we might make sure that we are cooperating with God to make those prayers possible. Friends, it is time for us to hear the words from the prophet Isaiah again. And to allow the word shared again by Luke to permeate our very being. And to take this invitation of participation and say yes every day, Lord. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God.